in today's quest, we learn that it's good to be the king. This is the quest for power. Welcome back to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War I. We are Scott and Michael, and once again, we are your hosts and lords of history, uh, particularly of the European area. So, as we kind of mentioned last time, if uh, you had stuck with us, is that we are no longer covering the Ostrogoths. Why do you ask? Because we ran out of kings. That's it. That's the answer. And queens. It's kind of a kind of a problem. Yeah, unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. Now we have a new dynasty and a new set of kings and queens with uh, more difficult to pronounce names. And so we will be transferring over to the Merovingian dynasty. Merovingian. Merovingian. I think it's called. See? I... Th- I could be wrong. I am horrible at translations. As I learned, like I'll say something on our podcast and I'll listen to another podcast, say that exact like person's name completely different. I'm like, whoops, we'll do <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, can't remember who it was, but some of them I was like, oh, I was way out of not even close. Or they are. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 We're taking our best stabs. And if we, yeah. So, uh, Merovingian, it sounds right. Uh, so yeah. let's uh b- before we get into anything too major uh because i have no clue uh who on earth are these guys exactly so the merovingians will we'll get into it more but they are a oh they're uh, they are one of the most underrated like families that in this dark ages europe this beginning of europe there is a ton of drama that happens between this family there's brothers killing brothers because for some reason in their brilliant wisdom they think hmm when i die i should break up all of my kingdoms you know equally for my children obviously you'd think oh that would sound nice you know right but then no the children keep trying to kill each other to rebuild the kingdom that you just gave them yeah <laughs> so. yeah on the bright side you you're not playing any favorites no no you know you're not all things I, i'm sure they st- <laughs> yeah i'm sure they still somehow play favorites and you get the better it land. is just it is just a wild ride through the Merovingians. So they're 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 a ton of fun. Um, they 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 are what when I was thinking of this podcast is what mm, it was all about. There you go. So now y'all have the uh, I guess the namesake We're, or the yeah. We are in the real era now. <laughs> yeah. The, this is uh, this is this is about the drama and not as much about the uh, destruction of Rome. Yes. Correct. Yep. So. Um, but like any other, uh, you know, good uh, kingdom, either filled with drama or ones that take from Rome, we have to uh, we have to expand our borders, right? So uh, we need to expand our borders, and uh, you can uh, join us. And if you're looking for some extra content, so uh, we've created a Patreon for you to join our kingdom expand our borders and you can become a lord lady or noble in your own right in our 
wonderful uh, community that we are creating. So you might be asking, what on earth does that mean? As an honored member of our court, you get a shout out, exclusive access to side quest episodes, and also with an, an entrance uh, to our kingdom, which some people of the modern day may also call it Discord. Yeah, yeah, Discord. That's one way to put it. Discord is great, especially if you're like me and everyone in your life is really tired of about you talking about obscure events that happened over a thousand years ago. They're 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 tired of hearing, yes, this king, he bought, he tried to sell an entire kingdom. They're just exhausted from it. Or this one king had to be told that, no, you can't marry your stepmother. That's not allowed. That so, not everyone finds that great. So uh, Discord is going to be good to find like, like-minded people, hopefully, and we can build this kingdom of people who enjoy history for the sake of the drama and, you know, not just get in the weeds of certain things, but um, just talk about and have a good time with it. Yep, and uh, like the unlike the Merovingians, we promise not to uh, divide up the servers equally amongst all of you. Yes, and <laughs> we um, do not encourage um, like backstabbing. I don't think that's really encouraged in our kingdom. So just try to keep that to a minimum. Uh, we'll, we'll come down on that. So come. So once again, uh, come check out our Patreon. Uh, we hope to see you in the Discord and uh, help to engage and create some uh, new history, but also be able to uh, have a greater and deeper conversation about the topics that we talk about here. Yes, and if that is not enough for you and you're like, mm, I need more power because you know that's why you listen to this show. You want to gain that extra power needed. You want to conquer your rivals we've created even extra royal titles for you it's like an rpg is what was in my mind when i was creating it you can be a duke a duchess a jarl uh, a king queen a sovereign if you if you desire and you get extra things with that you can um you can get a you can commission your own episode on one of them you can listen to episodes a week early if you're like i need to know what happens next and for some reason, you're like, I can't, I cannot wait. We have a way for you to be able to do that. So, um, and if, you know, you're like, I just, this Patreon thing, just not my thing, but I still want to like say good job to you people. Um, you can give us a one-off donation at questforpower.captivate.fm slash support and choose how much you like to donate. I'll just put this in the, in the, um, below for you. Uh, again, this is something extra you don't really need to you don't feel the need to um contribute if you don't want to we are just trying to find ways to cover our costs for this because it is quite an adventure to try and cover all the kings <laughs> try and even just map it out um how we're going to cover all of the crazy stories and the dynasties that we're going to go through um but uh, we did ha we have one episode already out for you, and that's about sieges. And I think we had a good time with that, Scott. Right? Yeah, it was uh, again a topic of my choosing, or yes, at least my yes, my uh, poking and uh, prodding, my suggestion. So I thought it was pretty cool because I know at least a thing or two about sieges, siege tactics. But it was wonderful to be able to dive in and talk about not just the uh some of the broad tactics but also the evolution of tactics because after all uh 
warfare is kind of like a game of cat and mouse. So, uh, so it was was a, it was a pleasure to kind of go over, uh, the evolution of, uh, siege warfare as well. Yeah, it was kind of nice to actually get in the weeds and stuff because like here we just go through a brisk pace like you can't go like in depth and sit around in a siege for an hour. But in that one, we literally did. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) um, with all of that nonsense and self promotion out of the way, Scott, what have you been up to lately? Um, A whole lot of Civilization six. No joke. Oh, that sounds interesting. It's been a while. and you, once you catch the bug, you can't stop because games take like, I don't know, probably 10 hours. <laughs> do you play all in one go? Or if do I you can. at least like, oh my goodness. I'm playing online I, with a oof. group of uh, friends. So we, we do break it up, but. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun. And uh, it's a wonderful kind of uh, way to have that uh that strategy um brain ticking mm-hmm. but those games are fun i love it's very nice it's very slow and methodical uh it's one of those things where you get that satisfaction of kind of like slowly strangling your uh your enemies like resources and such like you get to see the light of their uh eyes slowly <laughs> die away eyes. <laughs> yes do you have you used any tactics you've learned from here yet <laughs> um i can't say that i well no mainly because i i, be, I, I dirtle be... really hard uh in strategy games uh dirtle yeah so uh basically sit back and just uh, don't be aggressive maintain as little of a military as possible and just to you accumulate resources and use that to to better your long game right oh that's interesting i usually build up my military but i don't attack and then i start building up my resources and then if you attack me i just come at you with everything i got i will burn my kingdom to the ground to take you out yeah well the <laughs> the thing about um in civilization is that military costs money to maintain so there is an inherent cost. I mean, does, and also yeah. in addition to any game, even like um, I do this in Age of Empires as well. But uh, the there is opportunity cost, right? Like you could be producing yeah. soldiers, or you could be producing buildings that help you produce things better in the future. Yeah, that's the good of any like board game or strategy game. There are so many games like that that you know everything has an opportunity cost, and you're sitting there trying to cr- like be really crunchy and be like, ah, I don't want to make this decision. Yeah. So I have a tendency <laughs> to maintain the bare minimum, and then, uh, and then I will uh, if I if I get attacked and stuff, then I use my uh, enhanced abilities guess... to ramp into a hard military and enact yeah, sweet, I guess sweet I could vengeance. see that. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah, because I, I mean, resources are with when wars. I mean, look at the Ostrogoths that we just dealt with. As long as you can defend the, uh... them. Yeah, you don't want Rome just walking <laughs> through your territory. Yeah, just un, un, like if, undefended or un. If you have the resources, you're gonna win. I mean, World War II was won solely because of we just had way more resources than the Axis powers did. Yeah, that's the truth. Anyway, let's talk about our sources. Um, one thing to note about the sources is most of the kings in the Merovingian line, except for this one, are Christian. 
or they become Christian. And Childeric is not Christian. He will never be Christian. So as a result, our sources think that he's going to be burning in hell the whole time when they're thinking about mm. him, you know, that because he never accepted the one true God and Jesus Christ into his life. And so with that, we have, um, we had him already, but we have St. Gregory of Tours. We went through him all the way back in episode nine with Alaric II's episode. He is the main source of this period, but we would be absolutely delusional if we labeled him as accurate because he is writing for the Merovingians. Okay. Yeah. Well, small bias. Just a little bit. Um, you know, he he he, he kind of wants to keep his head on his shoulders. So reasonable. Yeah, I would write some pretty bogus stuff too. Yeah, yeah, you gotta gotta keep it kind of interesting, so, or kind of you know good with the good with the family. Yeah, because <laughs> the Merovingians, as you're gonna learn, they have no qualms about killing people that displease them, even if it's their relatives. <laughs> Boy. We also <laughs> we also have the Chronicle of Fredegar, which is a seventh century Frankish chronicle that was probably written in Burgundy. Um, we don't really know who the author was. The name Fredegar is actually was attributed way later in the 16th century. So we have that one also to go off of. And uh, they're one of the few sources when we get past uh, 591, when St. Gregory of Tours, uh, his work finishes. They kind of pick up and give us sparse information into the later kings. All right, with that out of the way, on to the main event, or the main quest, if you will. Welcome to the court of Childeric of House Merovingian. First of his name, King of the Salian Franks. So before we get to Childeric's story, let's explore a little bit about the this mysterious Merovingian dynasty and its background. The first Frankish king mentioned by Greg is uh, Claude Clodio, uh, who was a man of high birth and lived in a castle in Duisburg. And this is probably somewhere near modern-day Brussels in Belgium if you're looking on a map. And today we would more call him like a tribal chief than a king. Um, but uh, that's a lot of our kings, to be honest. They're more tribal chiefs than anything, uh, in, in the beginning anyway. He was distinguished by his long, luscious hair that would later become the symbol of Frankish royalty. Only the royals would be able to have the long hair, and they actually refer referred by their rivals as the long-haired kings. Wow. Maybe they were born with it. <laughs> and uh, it was common, so if you were to dispose of one of the long-haired kings, you would actually cut their hair, and that signified they were unable to rule. Wow. You know, not to say we can't just grow it back. I mean, yeah, I, and uh, that's I, I think that's a little bit better than getting your head chopped off. I'd be like, yeah, fine, just take my hair. I guess I'll wear short well, hair. Well, uh, <laughs> I guess it's a good thing that most uh, kingdoms tend to be hereditary because, uh, boy, if male pattern baldness struck in. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That's, I bet that's that, I bet that the uh like baldness was like actually a consideration in like who you could court. I wonder. Oh my god, that's funny. I never even thought of yeah. that. Well I just oh. thought or they just have like, you know, the really like they have a bald spot on the top and the the sides of their hair are just really long. Yeah. Yeah, they're always wearing a helmet for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Wigs. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just struck me as a uh, kind of a funny thing. Yeah. Wow, I never thought of that. That's great. Well, one day Clodio's wife was bathing. She was finally enjoying some time to herself, and then suddenly she encountered a beast of Neptune, which resembles a quinitar. Nine months later, she gave birth to a baby boy and named him Mirovec. Scott, have you ever heard of a quinotar? This this monster of Neptune before? Uh, no, but uh, what is it? Something with like five heads or something? You, it's close. Come on, tar? Minotar? Yeah, but like... You... Quinotar? Bull with five horns. I mean, that was my second guess, too. That, that doesn't sound fantastic <laughs> enough. Five heads sounds No, it was better. this... It was essentially, it was this bull that lived in the water. And the <laughs> this monster is only in the Chronicle of Fredegar. It is nowhere else. It is not in Greek mythology. It's not in Roman mythology. It is nowhere. It is solely in this Chronicle. Wonderful. Um, so this had to be a bastardized version of pagan, uh, like the Frankish pagan mythology. There's no way Take, that yeah they yeah they they they, they took bits <laughs> like, and pieces where did from you Rome come up and... with this. <laughs> yeah, you know, culture evolves from place and time. Yeah, and Fredegar is very careful to never explicitly say that Merovic is the fa was um that this this horrible monster is the father of Merovic, but it, it very heavily implies it, which gives the Merovingian dynasty a supernatural origin. And this is very common among Germanic Damn kings. it, Zeus. When when we <laughs> when we cover the Anglo Saxons in England, men, many of them are gonna claim they descend from Woden or like Odin. And that's how they, that is their legitimacy. So. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll that is, uh, that's, that, that's what we have. Gregory probably knew of these claims and thought of them as pagan nonsense. <laughs> because he didn't really mention this, but it was right around here in his histories that he just goes on a rant against idolatry. So. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just out of nowhere so i'm guessing that's that's uh so he probably knew of it just didn't want to mention it <laughs> <laughs> so after clodio merovec became king and that officially designated as founding of the merovingian dynasty a lot of sources like to say later that clovis did and that's because clovis was like the alaric he is the geyseric of the time we've already had our we have a king before him. we've already had our run-in with him yeah so yes we have yep so childeric's reign is gonna be a bit mythical a bit misjointed mess there's not really great ways of telling the story. Um, his his just not great documentation of Childeric. Uh, we know he was born around 436. And I know, Scott, this is going to be shocking to you. 
We don't know anything about his child. Gasp. <laughs> At this time, there was a lot of conflict between the Franks and Rome. They had their little skirmishes uh, of not too much consequence, uh, but, you know, they had their fights. So he probably grew up in a warrior society, uh, probably during war uh, with the Romans and in military. And according to Gregory, uh, Fredegar's reign wasn't off to the best start. And what I mean by that is apparently it's not a, a really good idea to do nothing all day but seduce the daughters of your subjects. It's good to be the king. <laughs> so kings have been known to, you know, they have their mistresses. But Childeric despoiled so many daughters that his subjects actually ran him out of the kingdom. I hope it was worth it. <laughs> I want to know what their breaking point was. What what number was it? We're like, okay, that's too much. We've well, I feel like it's more like the gossip, right? Or like the you 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 kind of begin reading the winds, and you're like. You know, you, you're probably not going to broadcast this, like, if you've uh, had the misfortune of the run-in with the king. Um, and you probably, after a while, begin picking up on this on the other people in town. And then it kind of becomes like, hey, friend, like, you know, did you hear? Or, like, things like that. And all of a sudden, you begin putting the pieces together and all the puzzle pieces align. And you're just like, hot, this is like this son of a bitch, this guy has been just, like, messing around with everybody. <laughs> And yeah, it doesn't, it takes, yeah, a, it I doesn't can... take too long for the cat to get out of the bag after that point. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is the nobility. I'm pretty sure they're not re referring to. Yeah, no, know... I meant nobility, but that's what I, but that's what I mean is like that you, you have, you piss off enough powerful people. And if all of these powerful people all of a sudden kind of read the winds, then yeah. all of a sudden it just kind of becomes, oh my God, this guy. Oh <laughs> yeah. We got to get him out all of here. All of a sudden all their... All their daughters just start having little bumps on their belly, and they yeah, <laughs> they don't know the why. The birth rate has skyrocketed. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I felt like it. Well, maybe it did take that long, but um, well, <laughs> before before running away, uh, Childeric charged one of. He had a very loyal follower named Weomad, and he asked him to stay behind and just can you calm them down please with your honeyed words he must have been a really good salesman who knows i just want to know how much money he gave him to like bribe these people or did he like because the it was honeyed words so like did he just give him a ton of mead to <laughs> give to them and get them just so drunk that they agree to let childeric back Oh, so they're actually letting him back. I, I figured it was, well, I, I figured the damage was done and it was, hey, we, we just, don't let know him, yet. just let him go. Because I can't imagine that, like, that they're, you can't reasonably argue that, hey, you should let this guy back in, you know? Like, I feel like it's, hey, you should not hunt him down to the ends of the earth and kill him. Let him go off and be in exile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... Um, the story goes that Childeric and Weomad split a coin in half, and they each took a part of this coin. Weomad was to send 
Childeric his half of the coin once it was safe for him to return. That's pretty cool. So, uh, Childeric fled to the kingdom of Thuringia, which is probably Central Europe. I'm guessing it's... They don't know exactly where this is, but it's probably somewhere within Germany. And he was at the at the pleasure of um, King Business for eight years about. So the king housed him and was, you know, gave him a place to stay while <laughs> he was not allowed in his own kingdom. And in the meantime, the Salian Franks elected Roman general Aegeus as a king in their stead. So they're basically like, okay, our own kings clearly can't do what there is. You Roman, please, you know, like make us civilized, I guess. I don't know. Right. That's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's kind of an odd outside choice. But no uh, one wants a job, uh, I his, guess. I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't want to be king in this era. There, what did we talk about last episode? Like all the kings besides one of the Ostrogoths met their demise. Not sure if I'd want to be cousin either, though. No, I wouldn't want to do that either. <laughs> I just wouldn't want to be born in this period. The history hit <laughs> as much as I love history. The past was the worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no good old days. It was always bad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh his boy Weomat stayed true to his promise and like the ultimate wingman he managed to roll a nat 20 on persuasion so he not only got the franks to turn on the person that they wanted king Aegeus, but they got them he got them to forgive uh Childeric and actually demand that he return to the throne what's wrong with these people <laughs> Like, it sounds like he didn't do anything. I mean, apart from apart from Diddle, he uh, he hasn't done anything. No, I don't understand. I don't. I wonder what Aegeus did if he was just being all Roman about things, and it kind of ticked him off. Be. Like, who, yeah. I honestly, I can knows? see him being infuriating, insufferable. Yeah. So with his work done, Weomad set uh, Childeric the other half of the coin, as promised, and Childeric came back to the kingdom with open arms. Impressive. Honestly, it's it's impressive how uh, loyal Weomad is, because the uh, other people yeah, could have just paid that... him to send the coin back. And then he just comes back, and then all the nobles that uh, now are uh, grandparents uh, then murder their king. We've had a lot of those, like, they have, we had, a lot of our kings, some of the, like, the more powerful ones, they have, like, this really good psychic, like, um, Justinian has Belisarius, Get and then we had Odoacer, who had, um, oh, I forgot the person's name, where he said to Theodoric, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, I, I did... Yeah, I, I surrender to you. I'm your most loyal subject. And then turn around oh, and with kill all, all of his men. I can't remember. Tufa. Tufa. Yeah. Tufa. Tufa. There we go. So, yeah, it's it's impressive how uh, you can have just one loyal confidant. So, yeah. So after Childeric uh, sat down on his throne, you know, got, got used to it again, uh, he was approached by someone who he already knew 
um, he was approached by Bessina, who was the queen of the Thuringians, who was the very wife of his old host of eight years. And she basically went to him and said, I'm so tired of my husband. You're pretty hot. You're bold. You're powerful. I like you. I want to be your queen. And he went, you know what? You're right. I am hot, bold, and powerful. Uh, screw <laughs> screw business. And yeah, he helped me out, but you should be my queen. Thoughts? All of a sudden, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the fact that he could uh, get around with uh, all the daughters of the nobles in the kingdom, all of a sudden kind of makes sense. <laughs> it kind of does that or business or, or a business this... uh getting down to business uh was a very like you know like you're just like old fat undesirable <laughs> you know man King. right yeah yeah uh yeah he had to put all of his um points if he was in an rpg into charisma I bet. Yeah, one sexy, sexy boy. <laughs> and uh, so this whole story, this exile story, it's a fun story, but it appears it's just that it's a story. Most scholars call BS on this, and but there is probably a small nugget of truth in this grand fairy tale. I like it. I want to say it happened because it's fun. It is very... <laughs> over the top <laughs> like i could see this easily in a tv show being done in like uh in like almost a comedy of uh of like the medieval times you could actually see this one yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty like overly dramatized yeah it's like a fanfic about yourself it kind of yeah it kind of is it's definitely <laughs> Well, let's be honest. A lot of history is a fan fiction. Yeah, yeah. Is is I mean, it, saying the Trojan War as much is not as real. what I want to as much as what I want to say. Like the stuff that we talk about is all it really happened. I'm gonna get, go with the eighty twenty rule. Everything we talk about is probably eighty percent true, and twenty percent of it's made up. And sometimes it probably switches here and there. It flips. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you talk about old stuff exactly so what probably happened is the ele election of the roman general Aegeus as king may have suggested like uh a friendship between the franks and the dying western roman empire even as late as the 460s showing like they were still like continued like together the franks and the romans actually worked together quite a bit hmm. Um, they did fight against each other, but they also did work with each other. It was a weird, it's this weird. It's like the Visigoths. Just, yeah, it's this very bizarre way of life with the alliance. Like you're allied with them, yet they're your enemy is what it seems like. There's a lot of going on right now. Can respect it. So Aegeus had been appointed Magister Militum, Master of Soldiers um, of Gaul by the Western Roman Emperor Majorian. And so this also could be a story that represented the dwindling might of Roman Gaul. So maybe under King Childeric, the Franks were either subjected to or they were allies of Rome. But there's no concrete evidence of any of this. The only thing we know is that Childeric had some sort of relationship with Aegeus. 
that was most likely either an alliance of sort or they were mortal enemies and we the 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 sources say it both ways for some reason anyway Aegeus died in 465 uh d either during an ambush or while in prison so things didn't end up great for him anyway and it sounds like fr from rome not from the franks oh that that happened mm. So in book two of his History of the Franks, Gregory of Tours notes that sometimes after Aegeus's death, a group of Saxons, uh, you know, they're a Germanic group, under a certain Odoacer, penetrated Gaul as far as Angiers. And if it's Angiers today, it's a city that's northwest of France that is off the Loire River. The Franks once again appear to act as allies of rome by fighting off the saxons and actually capturing some of the islands that the saxons held and then later gregory notes that childeric entered an alliance with an odoacer against the alans which were another germanic tribe and to drive them out of italy hmm. So it is unclear whether it's the same Odoacer that led the Saxons who he was fighting against. If he was fighting against Odoacer and then he was allied with Odoacer. And it's also, you know, Odoacer might be going off in your head because it's a king we covered. Yep, yep. And it's un very unclear if this is the same Odoacer who overthrew the Western Roman Empire. He was of Rugian and, C and Syrian descent. So what would he be doing leading the Saxons? Yeah. It would have me baffled, but weirder shit has happened, you know, in history. So mm -hmm. there's that whole confusing mess with Odoacer. <laughs> what do you think happened in this conglomerate of... It's probably a different guy. I don't know I'm how many Odoacers so. are out there, but... I think the first one may have been different, but I think the second one could have been because it was in Italy. Yeah, yeah no, that sounds So that right. would make sense. I don't recall Odoacer as much, apart from being all over the placer. Yeah, he, he really I just was. remember that stupid joke I made, and that's all I remember about him. <laughs> The biggest thing I remember is that he overthrew uh, Rome, but then was um, sliced up at a banquet. Oh, yes, that's the man. <laughs> so, and and that he had got a bad rap in history is what it sounds like that, you know, the the victor, the Odoric, got to write crap about him because he all won. In the life of St. Genevieve, written in the 6th century, this claims that Childeric laid siege at some point to Paris over a period of 10 years. It's a long time. 10 years, Scott. We just went over in our sieges episode how brutal it would be for one year. Yeah. Much or less 10 years. It's a long time. I mean, at that point, you've, you've set up your own houses and farms at that point, and you... Yeah, that's... um. It, th this one historian named James, um, he thinks the siege may have been nothing more than Childeric soldiers occupying the land. Yeah, because like, like it's not really as much of a siege if you're not really cutting them off, right? But it sounds like he was cutting them off because what else would you call that? But like, what would about you supplies? Let, if you're the king, 
But if you, that's what I was about to say. If you're the King Childeric, would you allow them to get supplies? Because it's Romans that are in Paris, not your people. Wouldn't you, and if you're in a tiff with them, wouldn't you be cutting off their supplies and taking it for yourself? I mean, it's the ideal, but like, how can a defender hold out for 10 years if you're taking all their supplies or cutting them off? Maybe they had that much storage. There's 10 years? I um certain certain ones that it's ridiculous. I know that, that. How do you preserve food for that long? I don't know. I have zero idea. I don't. One know thing we didn't cover parties. in the in the siege was food preservation. No, we did not cover that. Maybe with yeah, <laughs> that could be an entire episode itself. Because yeah, yeah, what people ate back then. Future yeah, episode. what people ate uh, back then. But yeah, it, it if, just kind of blows. I don't think that someone or that a like a place could survive for ten years off of like, you know, rations. Right? I don't know what could last for ten years without getting new yeah, stuff the, shipped in. Yeah, unless they were somehow getting like uh, stuff shipped in like along a riverway. Yeah, yeah, like we had we're... with uh, what? Not not Ravenna, was it? No. The one that had like kind of like the odd like um, bog land kind of like river delta. That's Ravenna. Okay. Yep, yep, Ravenna. It very much See? like Ravenna. Correct. So maybe they had a similar river system, like where it was just too yeah. difficult to stop. Yeah, that could be it. That's it's just kind of interesting. But regardless, what this says is it shows how much the Cilean Franks grew during Childeric's reign. They had a very small area when he started out um, in the northwestern part of France, and he really grew to grow like a pretty sizable kingdom all the way down to Paris. You know, of of so like he it's basically to show that he actually gained some stuff or gained some land. And then Childeric died around 481. He left his kingdom to Clovis. Much like his reign, we don't know how he died. Mm. So that are that's the mystery. Died of an STD. Of Childeric. Yeah, <laughs> see that? Can easily see that. Yeah. So that's the mysteries of Childeric. Are you ready to read it? Yep. Him? Let's do it. Royal power. All right. So how long do you think his reign was? Uh. Yeah, it sounds like well it depends if you count the time that he may or may not have been away uh so <laughs> he's like a 10-year king right um well it says that he ruled from 458 to 481 so around 23 years okay. see i i remember Maybe. i remember the seven year uh supposed uh refuge yeah, i'm like well I, he probably lasted a little longer he's not i wonder king, i want yeah, I wonder if that seven years is in in that number. It probably um, is, because it's because it's just is. it's just you know speculation, right? Yeah, I mean th that's most of his reign is speculation. There's really not enough. that much. Uh, the only thing I can say is that he expanded the Salian Franks kingdom. Like we know that for sure because when Clovis took it over, it was actually pretty sizable when he got it. And then um, he may have fought alongside Rome or was like a fodorati of Rome. So like, you know, the what we talked about with the Visigoths when they're like, 
I don't know, soldiers of yeah. Rome, but they're their own people type deal. Yep, they get all the perks of fighting for Rome, but without actually being Roman. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he uh, besieged Paris for 10 years, it is said, which is quite impressive. Um, the big negatives are we don't know what happened. Like, I, I can't tell you what happened during his reign. It's just a lot of it is the fog of history. Yeah. Uh, so using that, it sounds like it's mostly positive. Not a ton negative to say about him. Um, it sounds like he probably held the line and maybe expanded a little bit. So I'm willing to put him at like a, like a six or seven, maybe. He's got to be above a five because it sounds like he's in the positive. That's true. Uh, I was thinking of five, but yeah, you're right. Um, we'll do. We'll do. Yes, yeah, so I think seven. He puts his son. His son's gonna gain a ten, and and uh, I think he deserves a seven. Yeah, he, I mean, because he sets him up very well. Yeah, it, it sounds like he, you know, managed things reasonably well. If uh, it sounds stable, surprisingly, despite yeah. the legend around he's... him, everything sounds stable. Yeah, so he's like uh, Gunderic to Geyseric. Remember, where Gunderic kind of built the kingdom and Geyseric just took it and it blew it up. Yeah. Type deal. He's that kind of character. All right, so. So, all right, so I, I'm willing to splurge on the seven here, too. That was my first instinct. So, a seven and seven for 14. All right, infamy. Um, well, he literally lost his job and almost his life because he kept seducing so many daughters of his nobles. Allegedly, <laughs> but yes. Allegedly. I'm going to go with that it happened because you got to give him points for something. Well, and I love that story. Well, we do give points based on legends around them too. So that is you can true. take we it have... however you want to take it, but... It's there's a legend. It, it is what they're infamous for. So yeah. you know the legends there. That's pretty good. That's a solid. That's a solid. Like an eight. I or wonder nine. if that was to like give. Yeah, I'll give him an eight because I feel like there's got to be room for more. Yeah, I'll give him an eight. I agree. All right, because it's got to be high, but not 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 a ten or math. Yeah, math is nine. easy. Eight and eight for sixteen. Religious passion. All right, so he was a pagan, but it seemed like he got along with the Gal uh, Catholic Gallo-Romans under his domain. He didn't really appear gun-ho for Jupiter, so... So... I gotta go yeah, zero. Or one for his religious origins, apparently. His mythological origins. Oh, I'm kidding. yeah. I, no. That was like his... That Yeah, nah. I'm joking. Yeah, not again. What history tells us, we I don't see any passion behind it. I bet his mom would beg to differ. Um, <laughs> I've got that. <laughs> no, it's so good. <laughs> you gotta keep that. We are explicit for a reason. <laughs> That's terrible, but fantastic. All right. Oh wow, you can tell how late it is. All right. <laughs> Anyways, stability. So his kingdom existed. <laughs> and besides one little minor incident of seducing all the daughters of his nobles, there was no recorded armed rebellions. He expanded his kingdom 
Didn't seem like he had intruders destabilizing things uh, like we were constantly dealing with in the Ostrogoths. Um, so, and again, because we're kind of meddling with truth and fiction here. Uh, I'm well, I, So my first instinct is a five, but I want to downgrade to a four on the off chance that uh, uh, the Roman uh, general was in fact like holding more of a significant level of position in the government. I'm going to, yeah, I was going to downgrade it to three just because of the times as well. I like the, this time in, in Europe is so chaotic. Yeah. So I can't imagine it's that stable yet. Like we're not in like stable kingdoms. You're not even close. Fair yet. enough. It just sounds, yeah. Again, it's one of those, like, because of the way we frame, I'm sure is that it sounds it yeah. sounds like he's a stabilizing factor or a significant one yeah oddly yeah. enough so a four and a three for seven all right royal demise or lack thereof zero got nothing yeah he uh went peacefully in his sleep i yeah uh, highly doubt that but <laughs> he, he went pretty he, he went peacefully into dysentery Let's put it let's put it this way. His son was age 15 when he finally when he died. That'll so That'll do it. <laughs> Teenager, I guess. Yeah. Smells like teen spirit. All right. Uh All right, legacy. Obviously, Childric have had to have sired many children that we were not told about, given that he seduced so many daughters to be exiled out of his own kingdom. And they didn't exactly have contraception back then. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we have that. Um, we know of at least four children that are named in his records. We have Clovis the first, who is his only son that we know of, and who is also the child of his wife, Queen Bassina. So he's pretty legitimate, um, he being Clovis. He has a daughter named Autoflata. Do you remember her? Does that name spark a bell? Mm, just sounds like uh, like one of the, oh, um, queens who got married over, but like in a half-ass horrible alliance with the Visigoths, I think. No, actually, she married the Theodoric the Great in oh. um, 493 and became queen of the Ostrogoths. Oh. Boy, I really don't and recall then... that. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't, I guess, really? Queen, maybe I was thinking of Amalasintha. Well, she was, she was, was, yeah, she was in the Ostrogoths. Her daughter. Oh, okay. Her daughter. Because, yeah, I was like, when I think of Queen Ostrogoths, I remember, I think of Amalasintha, not. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, I mean, her. She was a blip, and see, because like, they yeah, didn't that have that much it. information Mala on Sintha her. Got a whole episode. She did that. She did. Yeah. Uh, he had two daughters mentioned by Gregory, whose names are. You're gonna say those. All right. Whoa, that is a lot of letters. Lantichildis <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, Albofladis. Albuflady. Yep. If I'm sure there's yep, those Atlanta children. Those two. And Albuflady. I know there's I'm sure there's a different few different ways to say the, those. Since it's IS, it's gotta be E at the end. That's, I think the that's S my is assumption. Yeah. I read it like with basic basic English at first, and then I think about actually maybe the origin of the words. 
So maybe Lanta Childe in Abo Flavia. Yeah, that's that sounds much better. All right, we'll go with that. I think I think I think we there got you go. There. I gave people the original spelling through my horrible pronunciation. <laughs> In uh, 1653, they discovered the grave of King Childeric near Ternay, which is uh, in modern Belgium. It's a pretty amazing find. It was loaded with weapons, jewelry, tons of Roman coins. It's pretty cool, but they didn't divert a river for it, so. No, no, they did not. Uh, particularly, particularly noticeable, there were a few gold bees or cicadias and and they looked like they had been used to decorate some sort of cloak. These childeric bees were op- adopted also as heraldic symbols by Napoleon. Oh, that's cool. To replace the monarchy Capitian Fleur-de-Lis. I Fleur-de-Lis, cannot say that. I think. Fleur-de-Lis, you're correct. Wow, and that's like the scouts thing I should know. Yeah, I, I didn't want um, to point that out, but yes. <laughs> So that's pretty ironic, though, that he took it, freaking Childeric being royalty and all. Yeah. But kind of coolly inspired that. Also in the tomb was a small golden bull's head, a, the king's signet ring, a Roman brooch that would have belonged to a high-standing Roman official. So that provides some solid evidence that Childeric actually acted as a high Roman official in some manner. He could have been like Magister Militum or he stole that we it. are unaware of. Or he stole it. <laughs> like, like you know, got it from the... Uh... Uh, Aegeus? Yeah, I got it from Aegeus. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> that was the ambush. Unfortunately, though, this treasure was stolen from his grave uh, from the French... Wow, that was horrible. Unfortunately, the treasure from this grave was stolen from the French Royal Library among 176 pounds of treasure in 1831 few pieces were covered including two of the bees that were found in the they were found in the Seine river what happened in 1831 is it just some random group that stole it or was there a major like war event i i looked it's not like during the french revolution or anything so crazy because my first thought was like wartime looting that's immediately what i thought too but i was like no that's not french revolution and if it is i am so sorry but I'm pretty confident it's not. crazy. So, yeah, because we can't have nice things, all of this treasure was lost. We only know about the treasure because of the detailed notes taken during the tomb's discovery. Impressive. Still cool that we got so, to see or that we got to see that. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, despite not knowing about his reign, he had one hell of a legacy. To sum up, he was the wife he was the father to the wife of Theodoric the Great. He established the Salian Franks as a power player in Roman Gaul. He's the father of Clovis, who will go on to unite all the Franks under one banner and be like the true first king of France. He had a pretty cool treasure, even though it was lost. And he influenced Napoleon so much he adopted his heraldry after him. For good. That's that's solid. That's That's really good right there. Yeah, it's kind of wild for how little we know about him. <laughs> I know, right? Kind of insane legacy he left. Yeah, well, it sounds like that maybe Napoleon was just kind of idealizing too. Probably was, but the fact that he inspired that is yeah. uh, still, um, still good on him. All right, well, with all that, I'm willing to give like, 
Oh man, it's got to be really high, like a nine, right? Napoleon's a pretty big player. He's that's 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 what what pushed me over the edge was like I was thinking like seven or eight, but no, with Napoleon, he got to do nine. I mean, it's Napoleon. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of of him, unlike a lot of other people, and I'm sure that's gonna get me hate mail, but that's okay. Um, so I'll go with nine as well. All right. So with a, with a probably a generous nine, uh, that makes for eighteen for you know nine from the both of us. All right, Scott. What's the total? All right. It seems I'm guessing pretty good. It's, it's pretty decent. It's uh no like you know, uh early days quest for power like Alaric grade stuff. At least not to my oh, recollection. Yeah. But a twenty-eight and a twenty-seven for a total of fifty-five. So that's pretty, pretty solid, solid that's pretty for good. how much we've ripped on people for the past so many months. Yeah. So uh, he's the new benchmark because uh, I think we should just rate, you know, compare kings against like their. If you would like the reference, because I'm lazy and I keep a lot of things in the same location. Uh, if you'd like, he's actually quite comparable to Odo Acer. Oddly enough. Oh, really? Interesting. We, we gave Oda Wacer a little more by three points. So, I mean, he did dethrone Rome. Yeah. Or is credited with dethroning Rome. Yeah. That's going to that's gonna give you some. Well, so he is kind of as good as Oda Wacer, but should he be crowned as high king? Should he be a uh, minor lord at court or burned at the stake? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't think he'd... I don't think he needs to be burned. I think we can throw that one yeah, out away. Yeah, that, it's it's a tough contest because he's influential, but also I, I'm going to say minor lord under the sense that his acts were really dubious or like just kind of unknown. If 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 it were that fantastic, we probably would have heard. I was going to say the mythical aspect is what makes me want to give him high king because he is a mythical king almost. But uh. I just, I don't see, yeah, he doesn't, to me, High King means you have a lot of power. You are controlling multiple, you know, regions at once. You can, you can push around your will, and I don't think he, he does that. I agree, Minor Lord yeah. at court. Yeah. Next time. Uh, alrighty, so with that, we have another Minor Lord added to our court. Uh, that will bring us to the end of Childeric. Let us know what you thought of them. We would love to hear from you the listener. You can catch us on Messenger at Facebook or Instagram at Quest for Power or email us at questforpowerpod at gmail.com. If you would like to support what we do here, you can find us on Patreon and join our in our I have questing party, but that is ridiculous. Join in our kingdom. <laughs> uh, next episode, we're going to review the most famous Merovingian king, Clovis. He's another Alaric, Geyseric, Theodoric the Great figure, so you're not going to want to miss that one. And with that, until next time, the king is dead. Long live the king!